we have been, over the last entire summer, some of you know this, some of you uh, maybe are just back, college students, or some of you have been kind of in and out. Squad Goals, a One Another Summer has been our series this summer, and this will be the 10th and final of that series. And it has been, certainly for me, I hope for many of you, a tremendously important series on how to understand biblical community. How are we to relate to one one another? How are we to love one another? And, you know, I think what happens on Sunday morning is really important. I think we come and we worship and we experience teaching and we get to see people. And our kids are very wonderfully cared for during this time. But the church at its its essence is community. It's life on life. It's people engaged in one another's lives so that we're there for one another to support, to encourage, to share wisdom, to share hope, and to just bless one another. And so what our attempt has been, there have been five of us who have shared in this series, what our attempt has been is to kind of see the church as the canvas and 10 of the 59 one another's are what we have highlighted as kind of these incredible brush strokes across the canvas of the church of what does it mean to be the church in the area of personal biblical, godly community, and I hope that it's been a blessing to you. Many of you know that uh, if you miss, we always, on our website, we always post our messages from the previous week. Actually, we go way back, years back, and so if you ever miss and want to catch up on what's going on in a series, you can do that very easily. I hope you'll do that. Well, I want to take just a second. Some of you know, and some of you prayed for me, and I am so grateful. Some of you know that my mom went to be with Jesus eight weeks ago. And she was 88 years old. She was an amazing woman of God. She was a profound prayer warrior for our family. And because there are 92 in my family, and by that I mean my mom and dad, my siblings, our kids, and my parents' great-grandkids. So I'm one of six kids, my sister, then five boys. And everybody says, your poor sister. Nah, she was more than capable, <laughs> believe me. We called her the general behind her back. Uh, when, when mom and dad would leave, it's like, mom, don't leave. She's really sweet now. She's just awesome now. But uh, so my parents had six kids, and then we all got married, and we all started having a bunch of kids, 20 grandkids, and 42 great-grandchildren, and still going. That's my family. And so the reason why we waited almost about, it was exactly two months, actually two months to, to have this memorial service for my amazing mother is because Labor Day weekend is when people could kind of come. My family lives all over the country. And so uh, we gathered together yes, uh, last Sunday afternoon and everybody was worried because there were 20 of us that were going to say something in the service Four, three of us were pastors and everybody says oh my goodness and then we even had a children's choir at the end we got all of our all of these great grandkids that wanted to come up and sing and they sang I am a promise I'm a possibility oh my goodness was that cute and some of my family are just super talented musically I mean it was awesome but as we were talking about it most of our spouses were saying how many days is this going to take one hour, 10 minutes. We nailed it. It was so awesome. One of my nephews is an engineer, and he's like, he just did meticulous. You're going to walk up when they walk down, and you're going to be here. And he was like, incredible. 
And so we had this amazing service. And our goal was to honor my mom and glorify Jesus. That's what the best funerals do. They honor a person, but they glorify Jesus. And we were able to do that. So some of you prayed for us. Thank you. It was a very Christ-honoring service. It was amazing. It was so much fun to get all of these family members. 85 of the, well, my mom is now gone. So 85 of the 91 were at this service. And we're together for the whole weekend. It was crazy. It was really, really fun. But let me tell you why I share that with you, besides thanking you for praying for me. It was a beautiful example of loving community when we're together. Guess what happens when you get together with a huge family like mine, and we don't agree on everything, and yet we were there to love one another and to honor our mom and glorify Jesus. Guess what we didn't talk about? Politics. Thank you, Lord. Let's do this one again. Guess what we also didn't talk about? Whose school has the best football team? Now, that one doesn't need to be discussed from those of us who went to a certain school in Columbus, Ohio. We already know. We already know. Shout outs, a lot of hate, hate glares coming my way, I know. Every time I speak at Grace, I get, okay, okay, we got to calm it down, everybody. We didn't talk about sports, really. We didn't talk about football. And we did not even talk about whose grandkids are the smartest and the cutest. We didn't do that either. Because the purpose of that experience when we were together was to just love one another and to comfort one another, but remember, 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 remember the amazing person my mom was, far from perfect. No mother is perfect. But my 88-year-old mom's life was devoted to serving others. And as I shared with some of you, some of you knew this, 20 years ago, my mom was diagnosed with that um, that horrible eye disease uh, that creates blindness. I always say it wrong. Macular, is that right? Macular degeneration of her eyes. And so for the last five years, my mom has been legally blind. And so guess what? I mean, this is a lady who did everything. She would, she taught Bible studies. She was the chair of all kinds of church departments and held babies and did so many things. She said, I can still pray. And for nearly five years, this is why my mom, I asked all of us, give me the most current pictures of your grandkids. I want current pictures. Her wall in her bedroom was plastered with pictures of us, our kids, and all of our grandkids. Entire walls of it. And what my dad told me and shared with us, that every morning, my mom would sit in her bedroom And one by one, name by name, pray for all 91 of us. Is that incredible? And even though she really couldn't see anymore, there was something about having that picture that was just a prompt to her to pray. And she would send it, had dad send out emails and say, what are your most recent prayer requests? What can I be praying? She'd be on the phone with us. Tell me specifically what to be praying for, for you. And as I had an opportunity along with all six of us siblings, uh, at the service to share, I had the opportunity to talk a little bit about my mom, the prayer warrior. And I said, only Jesus knows the profound power of my mom's prayer as a covering, as a blanket over our family. Only the Lord knows. Because she cried out to God for us. 
I mean, she was a warrior and it's incredible. And my challenge to myself and the challenge that I shared with my family is it's going to take more than one of us, but I wonder if a number of us could take up the mantle of prayer warrior for our family because only the Lord knows the power of that. There was probably nothing more important that she could do for us than that. So anyway, all that to share, all that to say, community. I mean, biblical community when you're together is not necessarily to talk about politics or sports. It's to build up one another and to encourage one another and love one another really well and to be there for each other because life is really hard, right? Life's hard. And God created this thing he calls the body, the body of Christ. So that's the beautiful metaphor that I want to talk about as we wrap our serious series up this morning. And the one another we're going to be looking at is found in the book of First Corinthians chapter 12. I want to turn, have you turn there with me. And here's what the one another is. It simply says, have equal concern for one another. And I think what so struck me about that one another is the word equal, equal concern. You know, when you, walk in, when you walk in the church or when you come to a gathering of your church family, uh, you, 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 you leave your, your status, you leave your titles, you leave your income, you leave your importance out in the parking lot. Because we're all sinners saved by grace, amen? We're children of God. We're the beloved of God. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, but we are, we are sinners saved by grace. And that's who we are. And this passage has been a profound reminder to me and a tremendous help to me to understand how we are to love each other, every single one of us, really, really well. Really well. So look with me at verse 18 in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This obviously, as you know, will be up on the screen too. Here's what Paul writes as he talks to these Corinthian believers who had a lot of needs. He said, but in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. For God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, I think what's so important, verse 18 is such a key verse. I think what's so important as this whole discussion about the body is launched by Paul here in the book of 1 Corinthians is who's the one who selects your role and your gifts? <laughs> it's not you. 
It's not me. It is absolutely God. Did you see that in verse 18? This is, this is great. Just as he wanted them to be. Now, here's what's important to remember. Every single one of us as Christians have a role in the body of Christ. And we also have been given a gift or gifts. It is crystal clear in scripture that God chooses what that is for you, for me. Okay? So it seems to me that at the end of the day, my purpose and goal as I become very much engaged in a church in the body of Christ is to understand my role and understand my gift and live out my role and exercise and use my gift. That's not optional. And as important as Sunday morning is to come and sit and worship and be taught and all the other things that are part of our Sunday mornings and to praise Jesus for children's workers who take care of our kids and allow us to be in here if we have little children as well. It's good. It's great. It's wonderful to gather on Sunday mornings, but that's just the tip of the iceberg of the church. I so much want us to understand that at Mission Point. The church is so much more than what we do on Sunday mornings. And that's why we are biblical community. That's why we need one another. That's why we did the one another's and taught on the one another's. Because as we continue to grow as a church, we have to work harder and harder and harder at being with one another and knowing each other and loving each other well. Amen? We do. It doesn't come naturally, especially as churches grow. And so that's so vital to understand what is your God-given, God-ordained role and gifts in the church. And if you consider Mission Point your church family, we're, we want to help you understand that. So I want to talk about, I got three characteristics of kind of my little outline this morning, three characteristics of a unified church, because the entire book of 1 Corinthians, really important to know, some of you would know this if you've studied this book, the entire book of 1 Corinthians addresses the primary problem of the church at Corinth. And that was division and divisiveness. So that's why it's filled with exhortations about unity. Unity. God's heart, God's passion is for his church to be unified. That is his passion for the church. And that we know how to extend grace and we know how to love and show compassion and be with each other. That is so important to him. That we walk in deep humility before him. That is so important to Jesus. So number one, a unified church reveres the father, reveres the father. I, I chose that word intentionally because it means, you know, be in awe of with some level of fear of the father. A church that is committed to unity understands at the core of its being, who is Lord, who is the head, who is in charge and it's not the elders, it's not the pastors, it's not the staff. It's Jesus. He is in charge. He is the head. He is the Lord. It is crystal clear. And it is that Father whom we revere, whom we serve, whom we honor above all else that has given you a role. That has given you a gift or gifts to use in serving the church. So that's just kind of my, my initial thought I want to give you. A unified church reveres the Father. A unified uh, church understands 
that God's the one who's in charge in every sense of the word. Because what can happen in churches is a lot of things can happen that, that take us in a wrong direction. You know, we can say, well, I don't like this about the church, so I'm going to grumble and gripe. Or I'm not excited about the direction of the church or whatever term or whatever thought could come into our minds because it's very easy. This is certainly true in the American culture. It's very easily easy to be such a consumer. We are bombarded with being consumers, aren't we? That the lens through which we can look at everything in life is whether or not I like it, whether or not it's my preference, whether or not it's my choice. When it comes to the church, only one opinion matters. (laughs) His name is Jesus, the Father, is the one who we need to revere. That's number one. Passage goes on, and it, uh, in verse 21, let me pick up there, and gives us some more insight about being the body. This is awesome. I love this part. It says in verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with greater modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. Let me stop there. So if you look at this, what Paul is doing, he's talking about the church, he's talking about the body of Christ, he's obviously using our physical human bodies as this metaphor, as this analogy, and he points out four different parts or four different categories of the body, okay? So let me, let me share some of my thoughts about that. I hope this is helpful to you. The first one he refers to as the weaker, the weaker parts of the body. And what's the term that he uses with them? They are indispensable. They are indispensable. They are critical. They are crucial to the body. So this word weaker, if you, look, if you kind of do a word study of this word weaker in, in the Greek, you'll find that it also means feeble, but it can also mean fragile. Fragile. Okay, so think with me for a moment. What are the parts of our bodies that are fragile but incredibly important, super important? Let's start with your... Brain. We're going to start with your brain. (laughs) We're going to come to eyes. Somebody said eyes. Good answer. I'll get there. We're going to start with your brain. Okay. Now, God thinks your brain's important. Why? Because he gave you this thing called a skull, right? You know, probably the hardest thing, you know, being hard-headed, some of us can relate, is the reason why he gave us the skull is to protect our brain. Why? Because our brain is vital to everything. Your brain is vital to life. So one of the hidden parts has this protection, this covering that God has given us called our skull, and it's our brain. Now think about some other body organs like in your chest area. You know, think of your heart, your lungs. So much of the vital organs of our body are in this part of our body. Well, what has God given us? He's given us this, this bone. He's given us chest. He's given us ribs. He's given us this part of our body as a protection. But you don't see your heart. You don't see your lungs. You don't see your other you know, vital organs. He has protected them. 
So what's fascinating to me is he uses this word fragile, but indispensable together, or weaker and indispensable. He uses these together, almost like these are the life-giving parts of the body. So then the question is, since this is a, a metaphor or an analogy for the body of Christ, for the church, then are there roles in the body of Christ that are that vital, that are not seen, but so essential. And I'll tell you the one that came to my mind by far, number one to me is prayer and praying and people who pray. Think with me for a moment how, um, you know, a whole lot of things. I mean, I think the word of God is super important, but what I continue in my journey with Jesus as I walk with Jesus is that communing with God through prayer, worshiping God through prayer and crying out to God and sharing requests on behalf of others and yourself is so vital. It's what one of the reasons why the church is not just like a social organization or a club. <laughs> we got the power of prayer. We have the ear of the God of the universe. And it makes an immense amount of difference. And obviously, I was reminded just last weekend thinking about my mom's profound, deep, non-negotiable commitment to pray for all of us every day and how God has blessed my family amazingly. I'm reminded that prayer is indispensable, yet we can make it so optional, right? Right? In our own lives personally, in our own small groups, in our own family, in our own church. That, that's a good one for me. What are some other fragile, weaker ideas that are so indispensable? You know, one that, again, that God has just so laid on my heart, and we've been talking about Stephen's ministry, is loving the hurting really well. I think that is, my friends, I think that is part of the essence of being the church. So important to God, loving those who really hurt and are going through pain and crisis and difficulty in their lives, loving them really well. And I think one of the reasons why maybe we're not as powerful of a testimony as we could be in our community is because we're so busy and we're so engaged in ourselves and in our own family and our jobs, whatever, that we're not paying attention and we're not available for people who really are hurting and really need to be loved well. Because I think I've seen it over and over again. You know, one of the things that draws non-believers to Christ is to see the love of Jesus in ways that cause them to scratch their head and say, that is amazing. And you say, it's the love of Christ. It's the love of Christ. So the weaker, the often very behind the scenes these are what I'm referring to as, um, you know, even the forgotten. That's kind of my second point. Uh, Unified Church recognizes the forgotten. The members of the bodies that aren't visible or public are so highly, highly honored by God. Let's look at the second category. He calls them the less honored or the less honorable is the term. The less honorable. So using the analogy of the body, I was trying to think through what might he be referring to here. And I think, you know, our bodies, our bodies are absolutely amazing. They're incredible. There are all kinds of systems in your body 
Some of you great students or biology majors are studying anatomy and you're just blown away, aren't you, by what God did called our bodies? How about your digestive system? Doesn't seem all that important until you're having real issues or all kinds of other systems in your body. You know, it's like, I don't think about that stuff. And then you have an issue. Then you have a problem. And it's like, mm, yep. But those also are hidden. That's what's so interesting to me. Those also are hidden. And it says to these, we should give special honor, special honor, again, to, to those in the body that are hidden, hidden, but very, very critical and essential. And so I'll tell you where my mind went as I thought about these members of the body, and this would include a whole bunch of you. It's the people who serve, and a lot of people don't even know it because it's very behind the scenes. You know, whether it's uh, set up, tear down, whether it's, um, you know, working in an, in, in with children's ministries, whatever it might be. You know, there are some ministries that are not glory positions <laughs> or even close. And you know why they receive the greatest honor? It's because it's not a glory position. It's because those of you, and there are so many of you like this, those of you who just serve and you serve joyfully, I'm not saying it's not hard sometimes, but you serve joyfully, you serve without recognition, you serve without applause, you serve without, you know, your name in the bulletin or whatever is because you just have a heart to serve. And maybe it's the way God has gifted you. You know, I love, we have so many people in our church that have gifts of mercy and compassion. I love that about our church. They just have beautiful hearts, especially for the hurting and the vulnerable. There's so many of you that love kids and you, and you take your turn and Jen says, God bless you. And so do we, because we're so grateful that you do that. And it's hard and you miss maybe being in here where you'd like to be, whatever it you know, that creates in terms of a scenario for you. But here's my point. My point is, I think God just so smiles at people who serve needing no recognition, needing no applause. But there's one who always sees and he always smiles when you serve. His name's Jesus. He delights in you serving. And especially when you serve just because you love and you love him and you want to exercise and use the gifts that he's given you. So thank you, thank you, thank you. You may not do it for recognition, but, you know, I, I've read over the years, I've read a lot of management books, and um, one phrase I've always loved and I try to do it is catch people doing things well. Catch people doing things well and thank them and affirm them. It's just so sad that many grew up in homes and many bring that into the workplace and into their own home, catch people doing things wrong and tell them, how about catch people doing things well and tell them how grateful you are for them and how grateful you are that they are serving and, and using their gifts to serve the body. But most of those people that I know do not do it for recognition. They don't. Now, there's a third. He calls it the unpresentable. Some, some, some different thoughts on what this is referring to. But when I saw the term special modesty, I'm like, oh, I think I know what this is talking about. But I am not going to go into any detail about these body parts. Okay. Um, body parts that need to be covered up. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to refer you for supplemental reading to the Song of Solomon. Okay. 
That is an Old Testament book, and you can read that sometime. And I'm going to move on to the next one. And I'm sure if Kondo was here, he'd be more elaborate than me. But, you know, I'm the old conservative guy on the team. So anyway, the fourth is the presentable. The presentable. And I love this. This is so great. Who need no special treatment. (laughs) The presentable. So most would say, most scholars, I agree with them too. It says it's referring to like your face. It's the uncovered parts of your body. Like your face. Your face is how people know you. It's how people recognize you. Your head, your face. These are what we would call the more public... um, Gifts and roles in the church, leaders, you know, pastors, elders, teachers. It's probably referring to those type of people. But again, I want you to see that Paul says no special treatment. It's like Paul saying they get more than enough recognition, which actually is really true. You know, people with the public gifts. You know, it's so sad to me, you know, I've obviously been involved in the church for a lot of years. And a lot of people, when you start talking about them using their gifts, here's what a lot of people do who don't engage, who don't serve. It's really sad to me. They say, I can't sing like her. Inference being, therefore, I won't serve. Or I can't teach like him. Inference being, I can't serve. Or I don't have the hospitality gifts that she has. She's incredible. Therefore, I can't serve. You know, it's kind of like we, we take the more, the more public, especially the very public gifts, and we say, okay, I guess these are, really the, these are the really important ones, and I can't do any of that. That's not my thing. That's not at all what I could do well. Therefore, I guess I'm not supposed to serve. Nothing could be further from the truth. This whole passage is just kind of an affront at that idea of there is an elite in the church. There is not an elite group in the church. There's not a first string, second string. There's not a varsity and JV in the church. There isn't. And the scriptures are, scriptures are crystal clear with that. You know, one of the biggest issues that the church in Corinth had was not only were they divided, but their division. This is so tragic to me. Their division centered around people who had certain leaders in the church. They were like groupies. You know, they're like cliques. And that's why over in 1 Corinthians, I thought about spending time in 1 Corinthians 3, but I don't have time, so I won't. You can read it later. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, a group of them says, oh, I am of Paul. And another group, oh, I am of Apollos. And they all had their favorite person. And Paul says, Paul's nothing. Apollos is nothing. We are at best humble servants in the hand of God. And if God chooses to use us, that's great. That's fine. Whatever. It's not about us. And that was causing deep, deep division in the church at Corinth. And it was tragic. And he addresses that very strongly. You know, I am, many of you know that I pastored 16 years. I spent at Grace and and now here at Mission Point. So I've I've had a chance to know a lot of pastors. And I have had an opportunity to know a lot of pastors of really, really big churches. And many of them, it, it, they cringe when they think about how, uh, how people have p- put them on a pedestal way too much. And, it, and it's, very, uh, it's very difficult for them, they say. And in the American church, my friends, it's not uncommon because there's so many mega churches in, in the U.S. 
there can be kind of a celebrity status for people who have really great public gifts. And that is death to a church. And that is dishonoring to Jesus. It really is. And so I think that's one of the reasons why Paul, as he's listing the hidden gifts and the weaker gifts, then he gets to the presentable gifts, the public gifts, and he says, they don't get any more special treatment. They already got to get too much anyway. It's almost like that's what he's saying. I'm like, preach it, brother. That's right. You know, we are all at the end of the day, my friends, we are all sinners saved by grace who desperately needed a savior. And in his grace, he's decided to use us however he chooses to use us. And we don't glory in that. We don't milk that. We don't leverage that for more power. We just say, as Jesus wrote in, in Luke chapter 17, we are just unworthy slaves. We have only done that which we should have done because we are unworthy slaves. And I think that's the position and posture of whatever your gifts are, whatever your role is, that's who we are. God, by his grace, chooses to use us. And so I love the fact that as these members, different members of the body are identified, no special treatment for the public gifts because they get, they get more than their share. It almost seems like that's what he's saying. James jumps in. This is cool. This is James 2, verses 1 through 8. We read something there about this whole idea of favoritism because that's, again, the disunity was caused by people making some much more important than others in the church. So here's what James says in James 2, 1 to 4. He says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or you sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. Wow. No favoritism in the church. And again, I think the reason why we tend to do that, you know, I, I really get it. I understand that even from a very young age, again, I, I know I always share, I have six grandkids, but some of you probably don't know. So I have six grandkids and they range from 12 down to four. And it doesn't take long when you watch little children to know that being special, having a friend, and even, I don't know when I want to be popular things starts to creep in as well, but that comes pretty young as well. And so kind of those types of attitudes come quite young in children. And yes, we all want to have friends. Yes, we want to belong. Yes, we, you know, don't want to be the outcast or the person who's never invited. I get that. And, and there's a healthy aspect of that. But here's my point. Sometimes we can uh, show favoritism so that we can leverage people's importance, people's resources, people's position, people's popularity. So we show favoritism. I want to be in the picture with him. I want to sit at the table with her. And we can do that, my friends, even in the church. That can creep into our relationships in the church. And James is echoing the words of Paul when he says, uh-uh, that's not the church. 
that's not the heart of Christ. And I appreciate that. And that, that was simply my third characteristic of a unified church. It resists favoritism. It resists favoritism. Look at verse 25 and 26. Paul, Paul says, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have, look at this, equal concern for each one. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. He uses the word equal and he uses the word every. We're all in this together. We're all part of the same team. We all wear the same jersey. We're sinners saved by grace. But through Jesus, we're beloved children of God. But we're sinners saved by grace. That's who we are. Jesus is death on favoritism. He is. And his church is to be as well. And I really believe that that was one of the reasons why the church at Corinth was so divided. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, in the very introductory verses of the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul's already saying, here's your issue. You're so divided. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and spirit. And then also over in first Corinthians chapter 11, one of the things the early church had is what they called love feasts, love feasts, big community meals, probably included worship, probably included communion. The bread and the cup was shared there. And what he is addressing in the Corinthian church here is the wealthy people would come. They had all kinds of food and all kinds of resources and the outcasts and the poorer people would come and they were neglected and they were discarded. And Paul's very upset with them as he addresses them in 1 Corinthians 11. And here's what he says in verse 18. He says, some in the church, he says, here we go. In the first place, I hear that when you come together at church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. So you can read that whole portion there. But basically, um, favoritism. You know, I, I think a lot, and again, this series we've done has been so helpful to me to rethink what biblical community looks like. And I, I think one of the reasons why it's so important that there's no favoritism, why it's so important we view each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we leave our credentials and our titles and our important positions in the parking lot is because that is the beauty of the church of Jesus Christ. People who love each other so profoundly well, who extend grace to one another. And I think that's why Jesus said, John 13, 34, 35, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. How? Even as I have loved you, while you were yet sinners, that you love one another. By this, here's your testimony. Here's the power of the church. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. The, the soil for the power of the gospel is often a loving Christian community. Amen? It is. When the gospel flows out of people who see us as we relate to one another and say, what in the world is with those people? They're so amazing. They're so kind. They're so encouraging. I want to 
I want to be part of that. I want to be part of that. And that's why we need to be quick to say it's not us at all. It's Christ. It's Christ. It's Jesus. And what he's done in our lives. I need to wrap up. So, Kyle, if you want to come on out, we're going to sing here in just a second. But I, I, always, I always like to end by asking a question or two. So here's my question. Um, I want you to think back to your high school or middle school years. Some of you say, I can't do that. That's like, well, a few of you are as old or older than me, so I can, I can remember. So here's my big question, probing deep theological question. So what lunch table did you sit at in high school or middle school? Now, things are probably really different. This tells you how out of touch I am. But back when I was doing that, there was a popular kids table or tables, the popular kids table. And so some of you are saying, really? Never noticed. (laughs) Cause I was never invited to the popular kids table. Some people say I'm probably in the bottom 15th percentile of popular when I was in high school. You know, that, that was really not a problem or an issue for me. Uh, others, others would say, yeah, in fact, getting to be one of the popular kids often meant incredible temptation. And if you were a Christian trying to veer you away from walking with Jesus, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. But here's how I want to sum up my message to you. There's no popular kids table or VIP section in the church of Jesus Christ. There's no popular kids table. There's not even a VIP section in the church of Jesus Christ. We're sinners saved by grace, beloved children of God who are just brothers and sisters trying to help one another along this journey called life, right? That's who we are. Let's commit to doing that really well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this series. Thank you for the way you have helped through scripture paint the beauty, the beauty of a church that is living out biblical community. Thank you for the way that you have challenged me literally every week. And thank you that, um, Lord, I'm just so grateful we have people who already do community so well. And Lord, in a special way, even though the weaker, the, the other members of the body, the hidden members of the body often um, steer clear of recognition and praise, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for people who just serve because they love so well and they're so eager to give and serve others. Thank you. Father, help us to love each other. Help us to weep with each other. Help us to rejoice with each other. And Father, we know that what that means is we have to engage each other. We have to be with each other. So, Father, maybe some this morning need the challenge and to hear the challenge of getting involved, getting engaged, being in a missional community, starting to serve, whatever that looks like. There's no doubt, Lord, you want all of us to do that. Certainly so that we can be a blessing, but also we know how blessed we become when we engage 
and beautiful Christian community. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you don't play favorites. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that your sacrifice on the cross was sufficient for the world, even while we were enemies, while we were sinners. You gave your life for us. That humbles us, and yet it also results in worship and praise and a sense of being in awe of you. Help us, Father, as a church to live out these one another's. For the glory of our Savior, we pray. Amen.